You like that move? Good morning. I missed, uh, I heard Harry talking about it. Um, I was outside. I am so pumped it doesn't get dark till later on. Um, I felt like this season of shortened daytime was like three years. So I am ready. Um, this morning, I, I kind of am going to change directions from what I initially was planning on doing. I thought maybe I would end our time talking about biblical confession for seasons or times of impurity. I know that many of us sweep under the rug a number of the different things that we've done in regards to sin, living a life of sexual immorality and impurity. I think it's worthy to note uh, that the Bible says confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. It says that when you fail to confess your sins, you're in opposition to God. And there's an important reality there, but I feel like one of the things we didn't talk well on or really cover, I will wanna switch gears and do instead of that this morning, uh, because in a church where there's a strong marriage culture, there's a temptation to define you uh, depending on what you are, whether single or married. And consequently, if you're single, sometimes you might feel like a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about singleness this morning because I think that there are a number of you who are single and the rest of you who are not will live your life with people who are single. So I want to just give you like a little bit of the background. So 100 years ago, 3% of the population was single, 1% of the population was div- divorced, and 1% of the population was widowed. So in the early 1900s, 5% of the population in any given church environment was not married. Today, 31% of people, adults, are single, 10% of them, actually 11% of them are divorced, and 10% are widowed, meaning that 50% of the adult population today is single. So it went from five to 50% in a matter of 100 years And it's not really something the church has done a a great job on telling people how they are to navigate it. I remember graduating college from a Christian university, single, I for sure thought at that point I would be the guy that got married his junior year of college. And at my graduation, I'm like holding two kids. Um, And and it just didn't happen. So I I graduated and I ended up going and, and working in Tennessee. And it's almost like I was pitied, you know, by all the different church moms like, how old are you? Why? We'll help you, son. You know, and you're like, okay. Um, and they would like set me up with people. And I remember date, I dated this one girl that I kind of brought to like uh, an Easter party one time. And she was like really nervous to talk to people. So she literally had to sing. And I've talked about it with only my close friends. <laughs> I just heard my wife laugh. Ha ha. She would, I would introduce her to people and she would get nervous and go, and ballet dance away from conversations that stressed her out. And I would be like, what just happened, you know? And I was like, that was a fluke, right? And I'd be like, hey, uh, come back over here. Um, This is my brother, the one that is insane. You know, like, and she'd be like, hi. And I was like, this is kind of bizarre. So I mean, like, that was kind of my dating experience for a lot of the time. And then I came to Hume Lake. I'm still in my mid to late 20s. I'm single. And people begin to wonder, oh, what's wrong with you, Johnny? You're, you know, and um, I think that there was just so much 
unhelpful, unbiblical extremes on both sides of the spectrum. And I say both sides of the spectrum because the biblical view of singleness is astonishingly different than that of the world and also that that the biblical view of singleness is one that Paul says is to be considered and to be prized and I want to look at this with you but when you look up single in Webster's dictionary this is funny the the first word that shows up is unmarried and so to define something by what it is not doesn't give you a proper sense biblically of what it is. And I would submit to you that the biblical definition is much better. And our primary definition of singleness for a Christian is someone who is in the church community who has the opportunity and freedom to use their gifts in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, on both sides of the spectrum, we live in a context and a culture where there's an idol of the family or an idol of the individual. And there's little wisdom on how we navigate in a way that honors God without serving the idol of the individual, I live for myself, or on the other side, the number one prominent idol in the American church is their own family. And so how do we do so in a biblical way where we have both an exalted and biblical view of marriage, but I hope you understand this, an exalted and biblical view of singleness? Because marriage is exalted because it is a life of service. And singleness is exalted because it is a life of service. I want to try to cover some ground with you today. And I know I'm not going to cover everything, but I hope to submit to you five biblical realities regarding singleness and then three misconceptions. And I'm going to go through these briefly because I want to be able to cover necessary ground and if you have any questions afterwards, you can come talk to me because I just think this is not something we talk about well. If you're married, if you disciple other people and uh, they struggle with this, then hopefully this will be a help to you. If you're single and you want to be married and you're unsure of what, what God's plan is for your life and why you're not married, I hope that we can just look at what the Bible says and go, well, I can trust in a good God and I'll know how to live in the meantime. Can I pray once more? Because... I need God's help so you guys don't kill me. Okay. Lord, we love you and we're grateful that the Bible, and it says you have given us everything, First Peter, everything pertaining to a life of godliness, meaning that we want for nothing when we consider how we live in a way that honors God under the sun. As a married person, as a single person, we know how to best live because you prescribe it for us in your word. Would we please listen, Lord, to what you have to say, and would we submit to it and learn to trust who you are, even when it's not what we want? And so, God, we pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. So five biblical realities. I'm gonna move quick through some of these, and I'll spend more time on others. Number one, singleness is the will of God for some. Singleness is the will of God for some. In Paul's day, or in the biblical day, it would be uh, equivalent to being poor and destitute, unprovided for, for you to be a woman who was not married. Your livelihood was inextricably linked from being married. That's why Ruth is doing what? Whatever she can do to get married. I'm gonna go lie at the footstool of Boaz, and Lord, no, he better like marry me up. You know, so things are happening there. 
But because Ruth had placed her entire livelihood, biblically speaking, this is a reality, to being married. But Paul is going to show that singleness is God's will for some, and Paul valued singleness, even if it was countercultural for his day. It would be, and I want to just present this to you, an absolute disaster to conclude from Genesis 2.18 that God says, be fruitful and multiply, and it is not good for man to be alone. It would be an absolute disaster to conclude that if you are single, you are outside of the will of God. So I know the verse and I know the passage, it's not good for man to be alone, but what we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that some of the people used mightily by God are single individuals. Jeremiah the prophet, never married. Jesus, never married. Paul, never married. Figures in church history, Richard Sibbs, never married. Living single is the will of God for some and he uses this for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. Living single is always better than living in a bad marriage, and living single is always better than marrying someone in the incorrect way to the incorrect person in the incorrect fashion apart from the will of God. So living single is the will of God for some. Number two, and I'll focus more time here, both singleness and marriage are described as a gift from God. They're described as a gift from God. Now maybe you go, but I don't want this gift. I remember my mom. My mom is a sweet woman. Okay, let's just leave it there. She's still like, I'm an adult man and she doesn't know what to get me for my birthday. So like she'll give me like, um, I'm kidding, I'm, I'm not kidding. So two years ago, she got me a Chuck E. Cheese basketball hoop that like counts your buckets, you know, like literally at Chuck E. Cheese, thinking I was gonna put it in my living room. I'm like, mom, I, I'm married and my house is tiny. But she's like, but you love basketball. And I pulled out another shirt and it's like a fuzzy felt shirt that looks like it belongs on like a onesie. And it says, I love basketball with a fuzzy basketball on it. And I'm like, mom, I'm a man. And you're like, thanks for the gift, but no thanks. And, and that's how some people view the gift of singleness. Like, <laughs> thanks, God. Uh, no, not really. Uh, it's like when you give a five-year-old a stock option for their birthday. It's like, hey, it's, it's a stock option. It's not real money. You can't spend it, but maybe later on it'll be real money. But in order to use this money, you'll have to go through a long and weird process of turning it into real money. And they're like, okay, so it's money, but I can't spend it. And maybe later on I'll be able to appreciate it, but not now. Okay, and that's how a lot of people view the gift of singleness. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 7. I want to look how the Bible talks about this. If we believe that everything this book says and that God is the fountain of all love and he is wise and good and has your best life in mind for his kingdom, we need to consider what he says. Verse 32. Well, actually, I, I think I want to start in verse, um, let's start in verse 27. First Corinthians 7. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. 
But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. The one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. This I say to you for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. A couple years ago, yesterday, Dallas was on stage. He was talking about the Joshua program. Uh, Dallas and I were in Kenya, in northern Kenya, and we were there amongst uh, the Rendili tribe, and they live as you would have lived 2,000 years ago. They're a nomadic warrior group, and they herd camels, and they drink camel's milk, and when we were flying drones over their village, they thought they were demonic birds, and they're throwing their spears at them. I mean, they lived back there, you know? And I remember there was this point at night, I mean, you also gotta understand, this is like one of the most epic things I've ever done in my life. These village warriors are about to drink camel's milk around the fire at night, and they've invited Dallas and I. And I'm like, let's go. And they, through a translator, are talking to Dallas to describe his family. And he goes, this is my wife, Julie, this is my kids. And they asked me to show my family. And I showed my mom and my dad. <laughs> you know, I was, this was before I was married to Katie. And they looked at me disgusted. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me sit with the village elders at night because I was less than a man. <laughs> and uh, I remember the joke for sure to this day is that Dallas will always say like, hey, here's my pick with the village elders as we talk to biz. You know, like what was that like? And I remember going, man, this stinks. You know, like, why would they do this? And some of you might wonder, why would God do this? Why would God give me singleness? Well, verse 35 is gonna tell us, it says, to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. God allots a season of singleness for every single person under the sun because you are not born married. So he's allotted you a season of singleness and he does so for a reason and he does so for an appropriate reason. It's to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. God tells us the reason that there are seasons of singleness and sometimes a life of singleness. It's not hidden, it's not ambiguous. And you need to understand this and you might still struggle with your singleness, meaning I want to be married. And we're gonna talk about that later and that's an okay thing, that's a good thing. But the reason that God gives us seasons of singleness is so that as a Christian, we can begin to champion a thinking in all of us and cement a mindset within us until we meet God face to face. Look at back at verse 33, or actually 31. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is married, 
or unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his, his wife. He's about to say something that is important for us to realize. And maybe it's something you've heard before, but this is why Paul is saying, hey, God is using singleness in your life to promote and champion an appropriate way of thinking. And if you don't understand this way of thinking, it's not that he's gonna keep marriage from you. It's that you've missed the reason he saved you. And this is what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 7. He's saying, time is short, hell is hot, Jesus saves, he's building his kingdom. And the reason that you've been left here on earth is not to pine after a spouse, it's to get after it for the glory of God. And this is important. God cares about dating, marriage, and relationships. The longest chapter in Genesis is Genesis 24, and it's all about Isaac's pursuit of his wife. I think that's so interesting. It says in one verse, oh, and God made the stars. And it's like, wait, that's it? That's all that God includes for the marvelous creation of galaxies and billions and trillions of stars? And the longest chapter in Genesis is on Isaac's pursuit of his wife. God cares about relationships. But even though it might be your main obsession right now to be in one, it's not ultimately what life is about, is what the Bible is saying. The main storyline of the Bible is that God is building his kingdom. And what Paul is drawing our attention to is that you are to live even if you are married. He says, I want you to live as if you had none. What does that mean? It means that yes, you are to be married. And yes, Ephesians says, you are to love your wife and love your spouse and wash her in the word. But it's saying that you are to live your life in such a way where you're not bowing down to the idol of the family or thinking that you're missing out on the key ingredient of life if you don't have one, because he's saying the world is passing away, hell is real, Jesus saves, get after it. The main storyline of the Bible is that God is building his kingdom. And Paul is saying it's so easy for us to think that the main storyline of our life is our family. I love my family. I mean, have you seen my little furball baby? I love that baby. But the scripture reminds me today, and the scripture reminds you, that that is not my ultimate reason for being here. Yes, my family is my initial and first and primary ministry. Meaning that if I'm not leading my family in a God-honoring way, I'm disqualified from leading you in any God-honoring way. But the Bible is telling me that there is something more. Paul says, don't pine away for what's not happening and miss what God has put right in front of you. Let not your longing slay your appetite for living for the glory of God. I love Jim Elliott. His journals have changed my life. It's amazing how just godly journals from older dead men and women can impact you. But the line that maybe he would be most attributed for saying is wherever you are, beware. All there, live to the hilt of every single situation. So the question is, if marriage and singleness are a gift from God, how can I be all there in my singleness? If it's a gift from God, verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how we may please God. 
The way you honor God in your singleness and the way that you are all there in your singleness is by living pedal to the metal and leveraging your singleness for the advancement of God's kingdom. Don't spend your singleness, Paul's saying, watching everybody else's life and wishing you had their family. Spend your singleness, pedal to the metal, and leveraging your time and freedom to proclaim who Christ is to people who desperately need them. I would say just confidently, I am who I am today because I leveraged my singleness. I am the husband I am today because I leveraged my singleness. Katie is the wife she is to me because she leveraged her singleness. I think we both wanted to be married and I didn't know her until I was in my late 20s but she leveraged her singleness. I didn't pine away thinking, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? I, I'm telling you, like, I, I spent years just studying and learning and growing. I grew up and I went, man, I really wanna know this book and I really wanna serve. When I was in Tennessee, I, I was working there and I told you the other day, I started preaching in Juvie Hall. That's not something you, do, you can do when you're married is go play basketball with students Tuesdays and Thursdays and preach for three hours and talk to them. Can God ever forgive me? I killed someone. Well, yeah, let's hang out. That's something I only had the opportunity to do because I was single. And God used that initial step in my life as, of obedience to lead me where I'm at today. You know where I dropped everything and moved to Hume Lake at that point? It's because it was easy because I was single. I didn't know what it would look like. I didn't know if this was like some, I didn't grow up coming here. I had no context. I got a random call from a guy named Rich Baker, wanna come take my job. And I was like, man, I don't know. They were like, hey, we want you to make a commitment of time. I didn't know what that would look like. I said, hey, I can come for three months and I'll check it out during the summer. And I knew that if it didn't go well, I'd just hop back and go back and join another startup company and I'd do uh, mergers and acquisitions again. That was what I was good at, finance, whatever. But I was like, hey, I'll do it. I moved here. I borrowed a bunch of, and all those things are because I was single. When I was here, I was overseas for two and a half months a year on average. Mission trips, seeing what God was doing around the world. I only could do that because I was single. And Paul is saying there is a gift here. I wasn't, I wasn't robbed of anything. I am who I am today because I actually view that season of my life as a gift from God. It was sharpening and changing of me. I want you to consider a couple things, but first of all, I want, you to I want to tell you that the purpose of singleness is far more than waiting for marriage. The purpose of singleness is far more than waiting for marriage. If that's untrue, Jesus, Paul, Jeremiah, and many figures in church history were all failures. God gives you the power to live in the moment that he has placed you. I wanna read Psalm 118, verse six. You can just write it down, but I love the simplicity of this. Psalm 118, verse six. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. You know that God is for you? And he says the same thing in Psalm 56, nine, and Psalm 84, 11. The Lord is for you. And so in every context and every season, you can go, God is not the enemy of me. He's not robbing me of anything. If you're God's child, do you understand this? Then maybe go, what, is, what are you keeping from me, God? This isn't the gift I wanted. You can say with absolute confidence, if you're a Christian, I have a father, I love the simplicity of this, who is for me, who is for me. 
When God gives gifts, he has more than you in mind. What God has in mind when he gives gifts is not your appreciation of the gift necessarily. What he has primarily in mind is his own glory and the building of his church. So sometimes we think about gifts and we go, what the heck is this? I don't wear this brand. I don't want this. So we think this is not what, what is God thinking? God in giving gifts has two things in mind primarily. And you're called to enjoy those and be a part of those. It's his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. And Paul's going to say, I wish everyone was single as I was because he sees the benefit to singleness. And I want you, we think of the word of the gift and we think of uh, the gift of singleness. And maybe you think of, well, that type of person never ever has had any sort of sexual desire. They have no longing to be married. It's some weird guy that likes living alone. They reject marriage. It's some higher super ascetic form of living where you deny the flesh and focus on your spiritual issues. But that's not the biblical reality at all. And maybe people have asked you, you know, or you've heard people say, I don't have the gift of singleness. Let me just ask you to consider something. Maybe you're wondering, or maybe you can ask yourself right now, how many of you are single? Okay. Okay, so this is appropriate. Okay, maybe some of you need to get married. Okay, the, uh, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? Do you know the answer? If you're single right now. Can I free you? Is that pretty freeing? You have the gift of singleness if you are single right now because God has given you the gift of singleness for a season, some for a lifetime, in order that you would live in full devotion, undivided for God. The gift of singleness is recognizing that God has me in a season of life at this time, and you don't have to know if it's forever, but you know that everything is a good and perfect gift from a good and perfect God. So you can stop wondering if you're gonna be this way forever and just know for right now, I know that I'm single and I entrust a good God who is for me, that this is a gift he has extended to me. And it's a gift for you right now because Paul's going to say, you're free from the troubles of marriage in verse 28. You're free from pleasing your spouse in verse 33. You're free from having divided interest in verse 35. And you're free to be single in verses 32 to 35. This is not bad luck, it's not chance. You're not being mistreated by God. To be single is not to fall short of God's best, but it is a path of Christ-exalting, covenant-keeping obedience that many are called to walk. Everyone for a season and some for a lifetime. If you are single right now, you have been given a gift by God that you are called to steward. In this season, you have been called to live undividedly and devotedly for the kingdom of God. And when you're not living this way, Paul says you're robbing yourself of a gift, okay? So that was number two. Marriage and singleness is a gift from God. Number three, marriage is not the destiny of any man or any woman. And this is what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 7, but I want to look with you at Matthew 19. And I want you to see these verses with your eyes because maybe you've heard these things and haven't ever considered them. But the reason Paul is saying what he is saying is because he knows something that's a biblical truth. I'm sorry, actually Matthew 22. 
Matthew 22, verse 23. On that day, 22, 23, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us and the first married and died and having no children left his wife to his brother. And so also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. Trying to trick Jesus, who's, the, who, who's gonna be married to who in heaven? But Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. You need to understand this, that the structure of marriage, and I said this the other day, I guess it was just yesterday, which is crazy. Marriage is a metaphor to point to something better and to something more perfect. And when you get to heaven, you will see something better and you will realize something perfect. I will not be married to Katie in heaven. And Katie will be like, well, we'll be like best friends though still, right? Yeah, I hope so. I don't know what it'll be gonna look like, but one thing I do know is that we're all gonna be siblings in heaven. So life is a vapor, and this is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7. Life is a vapor, the world is passing away. You are like grass, the Psalm says, that is mowed down, you're gone. Your life is a vapor. Don't spend your vapor consumed and fixated upon a reality that does not last. If you get married, good. You know what the Bible says about marriage? It's a good gift. He who finds a wife obtains favor from the Lord. Man, I feel that favor in marriage. I'm grateful for it. But I'm so glad I didn't pine away and lose sight that this is a world that is passing away. Your life is a vapor. And so that's why Paul is saying, hey, I understand something. You're gonna live forever and ever and ever and ever. And the structure of marriage points to a better reality. And once you get to heaven, you are going to be married to Jesus Christ because you are a part of the bride of Christ. And everyone counted amongst the bride of Christ are going to be siblings at the table. You will not be a second class citizen in heaven if you are single. In fact, what the Bible is saying is that you are called to leverage that singleness so that when you get to heaven, you can reap the rewards of a life lived for the glory of God. Jesus is saying singleness is a temporary phase and marriage is a temporary phase and we need to consider that for both of them. Everything in our life needs to be lived in light of the future. I only know how to reference the scripture. So no opinions offered here. Is marriage normative and I think good for people to be married? Absolutely, absolutely. It's the grace of life. But does it mean you've been robbed of the will of God or outside of it? Absolutely not. Does that mean singleness is not a gift? Absolutely not. It is a gift. And does that mean that I'll be alone in heaven? No. You will be amongst the family of God like every other person. Number four, singleness is largely abused in the world we live in today. And I wanna explain that. The Bible says seasons of singleness are for undistracted devotion to the Lord. And yet many people spend their singleness in self-obsession 
self-service rather than others' obsession and others' service. Even in a Christian context, people use their singleness thinking that if I don't have to live for anybody else right now, I'm going to pedal to the metal and build my kingdom. Paul says, and the Bible says, this is a wrong way to view life if you're single. It's not so that you can spend your 20s building your kingdom. God has given you singleness in your 20s so that you could advance with your youth the kingdom of God. Look at your phones. Look how corrupt the average 14-year-old is. The Bible's saying spend your singleness, spend your young years not promoting your own wealth. And this, this idea that what you need to do in your 20s is just prepare and prepare and prepare financially for marriage. There's a lot of wisdom in that. But let me tell you, if you want to spend your singleness and you want to spend these years wisely, disciple a lost kid. Make disciples. It's the only reason you're here. And it's abused when people think that they need to gather and they need to build their nest. And maybe one day a guy or a girl will come along and they'll fit within my nest in a perfect fashion. The Bible says this is the wrong way of thinking and it's the way many people even inside the church think. And then what happens over time is people begin to develop their own idea of the spouse that they want to marry and they pick and choose from 10 different women they know or 10 different men. I like that he's outdoorsy. I, know, I like that he can build everything, but he's sensitive and kind. I like that he's really strong, but he has tender hands. You know, like, oh my goodness. And then we look for the Messiah in a man and it never happens. And singleness is abused. Additionally, singleness is abused because you make habits in your singleness which makes it harder and harder for anyone to fit into your mold. You live in such a way that gets perpetuated that no human being could ever live up to. And then you start to piece together all these different perfect ideologies of a spouse all the while it's possible that you live with a selfish preoccupation. And that, for many reasons, is why you're watching the death of marriage and the death of family. I feel like I need to balance what I'm saying a little bit. But biblically, marriage, singleness is a good gift. Marriage is a really good gift. And you know, sometimes people look at the world and they turn on, their new, on, on the news and they go, this is just going downhill fast. Well, there's truth biblically to just let me the average person outside of the church makes 0.8 babies per family. They don't replace themselves. When God says be fruitful and multiply and disciple your children, it is the prescription for a godly society. So there's good in that. But even for the single person, it says that in Isaiah, that they can rejoice in having no fruit of their womb, but fruit of the womb of discipleship. And so there's both, and it's never just like, hey, this is bad, you're, you're, you've been cut off or you're short. Singleness is abused because there's this temptation to let work consume a large part of your life because there's no one waiting at home for you. And Paul is saying the reason you're single is to live unreservedly for the glory of God. And so you abuse your singleness when you do it all for yourself. And then he's going to say, hey, I understand. Maybe you're finishing up graduate school. That's fine. Totally makes sense. My brother's an orthopedic surgeon. He, he, he's not, he didn't date while he was um, in med school. That's totally fine. You don't have to get married. 
But one of the things I would encourage even people in nursing school or med school, that your life is not ultimately about med school. It's not ultimately about what you do. Your life is about advancing the kingdom of God and you can glorify God as a nurse or a surgeon. But the way that you bring glory to God is not just by saying you do it for the glory of God. It's by promoting his kingdom to everyone you're around. And this is how you leverage your singleness. Singles don't live for themselves. They live for the body of Christ. And one of the ways you can know as a single that you live for the body of Christ is if you're trying to disciple those who are in it and you're trying to bring the lost inside of it. Number five, our primary identity in this life and our primary identity in the next life is as a child of God. And I'll be brief here. Your identity as a 41-year-old single person or a 25-year-old single person is first and foremost as a child of God. In a context that identifies people in, in place in a social class according to their singleness or marriage, your identity is first and foremost as a child of God. And when God views you, he doesn't view you as single or married. He views you as daughter or son. And you need to understand this. Okay, let me move on. Three misconceptions regarding singleness. Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians that if anyone burns with passion, it is better for him to get married than to burn. Meaning like if you are really desirous of sexual intimacy, it's better for you to get married than it is for you to continue to burn with passion. I just wanna talk to you about the misconception of this. That does not mean that if you desire sexual intimacy that God guarantees the gift of marriage. And it does not mean that if you struggle with pornography and that you feel a pull towards sexual intimacy that you're ready for marriage. In fact, it's the opposite. You're not ready for marriage if you think that some woman will come along and satisfy the cravings that have been previously been filled by pornographic fleeting images. If you burn with passion, the Bible says it is better to be married and enjoy sexual relations within marriage than to burn, so work towards that end. But that does not guarantee the gift from God and it does not mean you are ready to get married. If you burn with passion, you need to submit those things to the Lord and you don't have to wait till those temptations and those desires go away. What you do need to understand is it's not that single, every single person who's lived a life of singleness is the person that never had a sexually desirous thought in their life or never had the longing for physical intimacy. That's not what the Bible teaches at all because there are a number of people that would have. Sing, the gift of singleness is not a magical prescription that makes sexual struggles go away. And so when Paul says it is better for you to marry than to burn, he's saying that as a normative man, if you wanna get married, you know that's something that you should pray for and pursue, but it doesn't guarantee the gift. Number two, misconceptions. It is a misconception to think that being content in your singleness and longing to be married are mutually exclusive realities. Does that make sense? I think sometimes if you're single, maybe you've been heard, sister, you just need to trust the Lord and be, you know, be content. And if you long to be married, you're outside the will of God because you need to trust him. 
I would just present to you that biblically speaking, it is a good thing. Paul says he's content in all circumstances, but where does he long to go? He longs to go to Spain. He wants to go to Rome. He's longing for something that he does not have. I've been prevented from this, but he says, I can be content in all circumstances. So I would present to you, if you're single, that you can be content in your singleness and leverage your singleness for the glory of God and yet still long, oh God, please, in your timing and in your provision, would you grant me a wife or a spouse? They are not mutually exclusive realities. They aren't opposites. I love what Margaret Clarkson wrote. She wrote many hymns that we sing today. Um, she died a few years ago at 93 years old and she was single her entire life. And in some of her books, she wrote 17 books, and in some of her books, she wrote about her just ongoing trust in the Lord regarding her singleness. Her entire life, she wanted to be married. And the Lord never provided a spouse for her, and she died at 93. And here's what she says. Through no fault or choice of my own, I am unable to express my sexuality and the beauty and intimacy of Christian marriage as God intended when he created me as a sexual being in his own image. To seek to do this outside of marriage is by the clear nature of scripture to sin against God in my own nature. So as a committed Christian, I have no alternative but to live a life of voluntary celibacy, to be chaste in body as well as in mind and spirit. Since I am now in my 60s, I think what my experience of what this means I think my experience of what this means is valid. I want to go on record that those who long to do God's will, his commands are his enablings. And yet my whole being cries out continually for something I may not have. My whole life is lived in the context of this ever-ceasing tension. My professional life, social life, personal life, Christian life are all subject to its constant and powerful pull. But as a Christian, I have no choice but to obey God cost what it may, I may trust him to make it possible for me to honor him in my singleness. 93, she says, I can be content in Christ and long and pray for marriage. And if God does not grant me that good gift, I know that he has given me another gift to enjoy. And it's leveraging my singleness for the glory of God. And she did, and she did and many will be in heaven because of her ministry. Third misconception, and then we'll be done in just a few. If you are unmarried, you are less than a man or less than a woman. Meaning that you reach your full femininity or masculinity when you become married. If that was true, you cannot be saved because Jesus was fully man and your salvation depends upon him being fully man. And if he was less than fully man because he was a virgin and unmarried, then we have no hope for salvation. He was not less of a man and boy, I bet he was manly. Not in some sort of rigid bravado way in a false way, he was a real man. He was a carpenter and he died for our sins. He was kind and compassionate and merciful. And then he would flip tables in the temple. He was the ultimate man, fully man. 
And his manhood was not dependent upon his sexuality or marital intimacy. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is told, blessed are you amongst women as a virgin and unmarried individual. She says, blessed are you amongst women because your manhood and your womanhood, femininity or masculinity, is not dependent upon you being married. In fact, you are called by God to express the individually of how God has made you as a woman or as a man, regardless of whether or not you get married at all. But we live in a sex-saturated culture that wants you to believe that unless you've reached the pinnacle of life, you have not tasted what it means to be a man or a woman. And the Bible says this couldn't be any further from the truth because Jesus was fully man. Was Jesus lacking in anything? No. Did he lack significant ministry? No. Was he destined for second tier obedience? No. Or did he leverage his singleness for the glory of God? Well, that's, that's exactly what happened. Was Paul less than a man? No, Paul is the one that's gonna say in 1 Corinthians, act like men. And then he's gonna say, follow me as I follow Christ. Meaning that when Paul, a single man, goes into churches near Greece, where there are ultimate males, like that's historically what they were, monsters of men, and he's gonna walk up to them and say, act like men. And it's not like they're gonna go, you're unmarried. No, he says, act like men, follow me as I follow Christ because I'm a man. What shows this manhood and the, and the way that God has made me is that I'm leveraging every single moment for the glory of God. And this is how Jesus lived his life. The key word in the book of Mark is immediately. 45 times, immediately Jesus went, immediately Jesus went. People wanna say, oh, Jesus was relaxed and interrupted. Yeah, there's truth in that, but he was on a mission. I must do the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming and I won't be able to do it anymore. He was on a mission. And if you're single, you're on a mission for the glory of God. Life is short, hell is hot, Jesus saves. If you're married, your life is ultimately about the mission of God. And sometimes people forget that in marriage. It's not all about soccer games. It's not all about your kids' sports. Those are good things and support your kids, coach your kids. I hope I will, I will one day. But my life, and I hope I example this to my kids, Lord willing, we'll have more, is that my life is for the glory of God. So don't pine away watching everybody else's life thinking you're missing something. The only thing you might be missing is the purpose for which God has made you in the first place and saved you and it's to leverage your singleness for the glory of God, the advancement of his kingdom, and what does that mean practically? And I don't wanna miss this. And Chip talked about this in the seminar, but I know a number of you weren't there. You devote your entire life to the advancement of the local church. That is God's will for your life. God is not coming back for a bunch of individuals. He is coming back for his bride. And if your life is starved of commitment to the local church, your life is starved from the meaning for which God saved you. Maybe you go, why isn't God giving me this gift? Maybe sometimes God is wondering, why aren't you obeying me? I'm not saying there's cause and effect there. What I am saying is, you've been called to be a part of something awesome. And it's wonderful. 
And maybe you can take that prayer. You want to be married? Go talk to the Lord about it. And trust that he is good regardless of whether or not he gives you what he wants or what you want because the Lord is for you. Young man, do you want to get married? Well, then pray for it. Ask God a girl. There's a lot of things we can do. I, I, this isn't a dating talk. And so I know I'm missing what's the practical next steps. Well, what if I really want to do it? You know, I got, what, I'm, what I want you to know is that singleness is a valuable gift and it's not looked down on by God. It's to be leveraged for God, amongst the family of God, for the glory of God. I love you guys. It's been a fun weekend. Um, can I pray for you? And then Harry will, I think, come and wrap us up. Lord, uh, there's for sure probably things I didn't cover in singleness and knowing that there's so many different factors at stake and why people aren't married and we live in a world of divorce and tragedy and sorrow. But God, I'm thankful for the reminder of Psalm 118.6, you are for me. And God, that you have already given us your son, will he not freely, it says in him in Romans 8, give us all good things. Lord, you've given us everything we need for a life that honors you. And Lord, for those that long to be married, would they be both content and leverage their singleness while praying that you would in your timing, if it's your will, provide a spouse? For those that are married, would they recognize that ultimately life is not about marriage? Life is about the glory of God and marriage serves as a metaphor for a better picture, a better marriage, a more perfect marriage. When we get to heaven, we will all be siblings, a part of the family and body of Christ. It's not the destiny of any man. Lord, largely singleness is also abused. So those that live for themselves, would they begin to live for others and to live for you, for your glory and for your kingdom? Lord, we are thankful, Lord, that when words lack from a message, we have the infinitely valuable word of God that instructs us, that teaches us, and tells us about your character because, Lord, you are good, wise, sovereign, and loving, and so we can trust you even when we lack what we long for. We pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen.